To Horror Bluffs, a podcast where we watch and discuss uh, all kinds of horror movies uh, at length. <laughs> Scaredy Cat. And I'm Meg. I'm a resident horror buff. <laughs> <laughs> this episode, we will be watching and discussing uh, 1989's A Nightmare on Elm Street. 84. Fuck. <laughs> we're going Start. great already i love it <laughs> all right uh 1984 i literally have it written down in front of me it was written uh it was released in 1984 it was written and directed by wes craven prove how much of a horror buff i am not i know i should know who wes craven is but i don't and i have never watched this movie before uh, before watching it for this episode of this podcast. So, oops. I'm going to be learning a lot over the course of the show, I think. Now I got to be horror shaming because, like, I think, I think horror is that one genre that is, like, very welcoming to newcomers and, like, people who are just like kind of getting into it. it it did not used to be but I feel like now we're in a space where it's just like we just want people to watch spooky stuff and you know laugh at gore and just funny men in sweaters oh my god I just I I just want to talk about this movie <laughs> this the sweaters um I'm so excited okay um one thing we should definitely mention uh, up here at the top is that this is absolutely going to be a spoiler heavy podcast um so uh at the start of every episode if we have seen uh if we're talking about a movie that you have not seen and you don't want us to spoil it for you just pause go watch it come back afterwards um but that uh it should also be known that this i think is definitely going to be uh a show that you can enjoy even if you haven't seen the movie in a really long time or if you're not planning on seeing it um, because as I said a lot of these movies I will have never seen before um, and this will be my first take it'll be very exciting for I'm everyone excited. involved yeah especially Meg I think it's just like a, a literal thrill for probably anybody who has just like a love of either a genre or just like anything but to just show their shit to somebody and just be like please love my shit oh yeah that is... <laughs> this is a very that is human thing absolutely like the greatest form of love like yes the biggest form of love is showing someone you care about their shit and being like listen to this please um do you do you like my my lovely scissor hands man that's not johnny depp but johnny depp is in this <laughs> Uh, yeah, so actually, I, I love that um, jumping off point. So this movie starred Heather Langenkamp, uh, yes. Robert Englund, and introduced Johnny Depp. Introduced Johnny Depp. Um, I did not and... tell you this purposefully because I just wanted you to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I was absolutely like, what the fuck? And I think it's fucking fantastic because um, 
I'm a huge Tim Burton fan, uh, which is <laughs> ironic because I would not describe myself as someone who usually likes horror movies. And I love that, like, Depp, like, this was his introductory movie, and then he became, like, Tim Burton's staple go-to lead actor. And honestly, there is a little bit in here um, that I kind of see, and maybe this is, like, the worst thing to say, but, like, I kind of see um, some of the theatrical elements that I love about Tim Burton in this show. It's it's very much in the vein of, like, of you. T- I just find it very interesting, the fact that, like, you love Tim Burton, and Tim Burton clearly very much so loves horror and loves, like, the kind of campy theatrical horror that I think Nightmare on Elm Street is very emblematic of. Um, and I think that, like, you're, you're definitely right. Like, it, it, it ties in there. It's so fucking funny to me because, like, Johnny Depp at this point is so typecast as the, like, looniest, craziest character. And fucking Glenn's just a goddamn Chad. Like, he is... Right? He has no personality. It's really funny although i will say i will say that while i was watching it i was watching it with my partner tom who lane knows uh but like literally he was he was watching uh the the tv part the his part uh with like the crop top and he's like man i want that top and i'm just like i mean yes (laughs) oh my god i will have things to say about that crop top (laughs) holy fuck um anyway back on track um the imdb blurb on uh, a nightmare on elm street is teenager nancy thompson must uncover the dark truth concealed by her parents after she and her friends become targets of the spirit of a serial killer with a bladed glove in their dreams in which if they die it kills them in real life which i think is like possibly the worst written blurb i've ever heard it's it's very you know it gets something <laughs> it's um it's like a really fucking long sentence to someone on imdb needs to work on their grammar um imdb gives uh a nightmare on elm street a 7.5 out of 10 which i think is a little harsh um and it has a 95 percent on rotten tomatoes so either it's like a really great movie or it's like a eh movie depending on who you ask apparently it's it's very um and this is going to be a running theme that i think you're going to find in a lot of the movies that we're going to watch is that rating systems like rotten tomatoes and imdb like the they're usually um a little bit harsher towards horror movies because horror has been that kind of uh cinematic genre that has been seen as like lower tier and we're definitely going to get into why that is and different areas and how that is pretty fucked up. Um, but like generally, a lot of the rating systems are going to rate the horror movies that aren't, you know, the the newer <laughs> A24, like fancy prestige horror. A lot of them are going to be kind of rated a little bit lower than you would expect. Um, I think also camp specifically is uh, sort of an acquired taste. Um, well, maybe not like an acquired taste, but like uh, it gets a lot of critique that I don't think it deserves. I'm a huge fan of camp, as I'm sure that we're gonna um, explore um, throughout the show. Um, but uh, I, so I really like camp, but I think like a lot of the older, more campy horror movies, like they 
I can imagine they get some shit on rating systems for yes. being more campy. Yeah, it's like, you know, are you gonna diss a Baz Luhrmann movie for being the Baz Luhrmiest? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I wouldn't. If it's, if it's well but... within the, like, <laughs> if it's in the genre conventions, or if it, like, works around that, I feel like you can't really fault it for for bringing forth like it's it's true resurgence you know like camp i feel like at this point in horror and in a lot of other things has kind of had a resurgence um in that like people are getting more into embracing the camp so quick note uh starting now uh one thing we do want to mention also uh is that uh uh, we do have a couple content warnings. We're going to be talking about uh, themes of self-harm, uh, addiction, domestic violence. Um, of course, all horror movie has scary things. Um, and these are some of the scary things. But we will uh, put in the show notes the timestamps um, when we talk about these things. And we'll, we'll mention which uh, sort of content warning we're talking about at each timestamp. Um, so do... Uh, keep an eye on those things, and you're welcome to skip around those those timestamps as you need uh, to keep yourself emotionally safe. Yes, and just uh, like as a side note, I think just for future for future shows, um, you know, the genre does have some bad takes in regards to a lot of triggering contact or content, and I think us discussing that content is important but we never want to address it in a way that is going to uh produce more harm than good so just for future reference if you ever want to you know tell us that you know something that we've said has produced harm or has um you know maybe crossed a line you can definitely you know make a comment let us know because we that is like the antithesis of what we want to do here yeah, absolutely. We we definitely I think we're we're not going to shy away from talking about those themes, especially because I think both of us are really believe that what we watch can have a huge effect on what we believe. Um and so talking about, you know, those darker, those those harder themes is really important to consider uh, you know, what are, is our media teaching us. At the same time, um we also have a lot of fun on this podcast, but we do want to treat these themes with a lot of respect. Um, and, and while we do our research um, as best we can, you know, we're two human beings, so we're, we're going to miss something. Um, yeah. And so we will always make sure to, to provide timestamps and content warnings. And we're also always open to suggestions and more knowledge. Um, just because we're talking about it doesn't mean we have personal experience with it. Um, and also just because we're talking about it doesn't mean we don't have personal experience with it. Um, so please, um, you know, help help us learn, um, but also... Be kind. Yeah, we are doing our best um, with the knowledge that we have, and we promise to always do our best. Um, but we also, you know, are still learning ourselves, as we all are at all times. I think that is... I think that's it. I think we can really dive deep into the discussion at this point i am so excited oh my god okay so let's get into this (laughs) i am i'm so ready i need to okay i have some questions for you 
I have I have some serious questions, but also I have some very not serious questions. Oh, serious questions. All right. So I guess my first question is, did it scare you? So I think you're going to be disappointed, but not really. Um. <laughs> I feel like it's it's like a half and half. It's a coin toss with whether or not it would. For me, uh, and this is actually like, I'm not a huge movie person. Um, and so for this me, this is a great podcast. It, yeah, this is fantastic. <laughs> um, no, like, so I really prefer um, more long form uh, work. So I, I tend to go for a novel over a short story. I tend to go for like a long form TV show over a movie because I really enjoy this sort of like build up of uh, like understanding the world and what's going on and why. And so like, for me, a lot of this movie experience was just like. It felt a lot like you got thrown into the deep end of the pool, but like the deep end of the pool was like all of a sudden it was slime. This is a terrible, this is a terrible this is okay. <laughs> analogy, all never right. mind. But like <laughs> there, there wasn't for me like a lot of context about like why should I be scared um, until uh, like a good chunk into the movie. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's just something about the way That's interesting. Um, it was set up that I was like, okay i mean this dude is definitely bonkers but like i wasn't scared i think it's interesting the way that you say that like you weren't really like established with why you should be scared like until a good portion of the way through the movie because like to me i think this is like fairly early on a good setup for like i think i personally think that this is like one of the greatest op- openings to a horror movie that I have ever seen. Okay. Um, and that might just be because of the nostalgia. It's definitely because of the nostalgia, but also just because of the common tropes of horror movies that I kind of just fall in love with and find it so campy and fun. And also just like the elements of fear that's like implicit in dreams because like we we know so very little about like our dreams what they mean and like how they affect us and to like think about somebody who's coming at you through a space that you're supposed to be like calm and feel protected like to me that's like that's that's something like so terrifying right like coming at you in your mind while you are literally like the most vulnerable yeah like i think for me like it was really uh and this is it's very funny because you like the opening so much. Like, for me, it was very much about the opening. And so, like, the opening throws you into this one weird, like, tiny square box. Like, I don't know what was going on there with the aspect ratio. It was really, like, tiny and weird. Um, it's the intro scene. It's very 80s. <laughs> it, it is very it is very 80s. And, okay, so the very, very beginning, despite the fact that the aspect ratio is bonkers, right? Like, that's scary. You've got this, like weird welding going on and there are knives and it's a glove and you can tell very clearly that whoever you're watching do this work is not okay not okay and and so like that is like a really strong start for me but then we hit that like white flash screen and you like have this weird zoom in on some random white bitch's face and she's like (laughs) running around a sewer right like on first watch you don't really know where she is she's just running around in a nightgown somewhere you know you don't really know why 
Um, and you don't really know what she's running from. You just know that she's running really badly. She's really bad at running. But that's very um, dreamlike, right? Like, I definitely think that, that that establishes a very dreamlike state to me. It definitely establishes a dreamlike state to me. Like, the the big issue was because I didn't know it was supposed to be a dream. It was just weird and confusing. So I was like, okay, so why are we in the sewers? Why is she already scared? Like, I think for me, I needed an establishing shot that was her, like, in bed, and then she starts to dream. Again, I I came into this knowing very, very little about the movie. Um, I, like, was familiar with the title, and I was familiar with, like, the concept that there is a character named Freddy Krueger, and, like, vaguely his character design. Um, but... I, like, I didn't really know much about the premise. And so without any foreknowledge that's like Freddy Krueger's whole deal is like killing you in your sleep. Uh, I spent a lot of the intro being like, so why are we here? Why are we scared? What are we scared of? And it's okay. To be fair, it is like the first few minutes of the movie, though, when that happens. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. The rest of the movie, it like... Um, it definitely, you know, gives you space to understand the vulnerability of, like, someone who could kill you in your dreams. Um, it was just, for me, it was, like, it threw me off. Um, it sort of, like, plunged deep into what was happening. Um, in a way that, like, as a first-time viewer, I was definitely like, what? (laughs) Yeah, it's, you know, and I think I am... If I'm thinking about it, and I guess this is kind of like the crux of what we're doing here, right? Like, I've seen mm-hmm. this movie countless times. I love it. I love it so much. I love Freddy. I I stand <laughs> Freddy. And I I just feel like I, I can't even imagine seeing it without knowing any context behind it. So it's or like, so to me, like, it just seems just like the epitome of 80s campy horror um, in a way that like just set the tone for so many movies to follow. And I think I just kind of have that maybe like rose colored glasses on for that. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think also just like the, the mysteriousness of it also kind of plays into the themes of the dreams. Mm -hmm. And like, I think it's just interesting that like, you know, this follows um you know the main like cast of teenagers like they're all having the same kind of dreams of being attacked by freddy and i think like figuring that out itself is just like well that's weird that's kind of creepy um but yeah okay well it didn't scare you and that's okay it didn't scare me uh it definitely made me feel some feelings um and it definitely grossed me out uh, in in some situations. Oh yeah, there's a little bit of um, gore. There's it's um, yeah, we'll talk about it. Um, but but before <laughs> we like, before we move on though, I would if you don't mind, like, do you remember what your first experience of watching it was like? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like when I watched it, I was t- probably too young. I was like probably 12 or 13 and I we had like these uh movie parties after 
swim practice because I was like a little swim nerd and I would just go to swimming all the time. And we would just uh, watch horror movies in my friend's basement and I watched this with them and then I could not sleep for like three days after watching it because I got too scared. (laughs) I can't even imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, It's it's crazy to think about like because like I say like I can't think about like watching it for the first time like again but that's just because this was like so early on in my love of horror and I was mm-hmm. um I probably watched horror movies like I'm not trying to like be like I was like really cool but like I I watched horror movies when I probably shouldn't have watched horror movies <laughs> so I've kind of just like context wise um <laughs> I'm just I I I was way too into it <laughs> Yeah, I think there's also like a there's like a difference in experience. Like, you know, we were watching this like I was watching it to enjoy it and I was watching it to have fun, but I was also watching it for this podcast in mind. And I mean at this point in my life, because of what I do and like my field, like I have trouble watching media with without thinking probably too much about it so yeah. i think like definitely the experience of watching this like not only to watch it but also knowing i'm talking about it later um and also like watching this after having spent literal years like studying media and analyzing media is probably definitely a different experience from someone who is like a tween teen like watching it for the first time to watch a scary movie and also the fact that this was like from the eighties, and like, what like what dignifies a, a scary movie? Like truly, like scary now. Like people yeah. don't find The Exorcist scary anymore, and like that used to be like one of the scariest films ever made to like a generation of people. So it's just like keeping that in context. Gonna be honest. I have always been too afraid to watch The Exorcist, so maybe that should that's, end up on our list. <laughs> no, but like that's definitely a thing, right? Like, yeah. There's like this cult of of fear and cult of nostalgia that's like built up around these classic films, and I definitely think that there's an element of truth to that when it comes to like Nightmare on Elm Street. And I think there's like there's about seven movies in the series of Nightmare oh on Elm God. Street. We will not Jesus watch all of them. Christ. We will not watch um, all of them, but I hope at one point we will watch the Dream Warriors one because, like, I fucking love that. And the song Dream Warriors slaps. So I at least will try to get you to listen to the music video or watch the music video for that. But either okay. way, <laughs> it is the first three, I think, kind of get into a lot of the themes that I wanted to talk about when it comes to Freddie as a character mm-hmm. and as a queer icon. Um, a queer icon. <laughs> Holy shit. All right. Okay. Well, uh, let's get there. Um, so we start out and we're watching someone. Now we know it's Freddy, but when you're first watching it, it's just some person. You don't even see their face, like, making these knife gloves. Again, I, I do genuinely feel like at least this portion was a very cool plunge into, like, shit's real. Um, yeah. And it flashes to... Uh, who we later learn is Tina, um, and she is like running down this drippy, wet hall in a white nightgown um, that with her with her white... boobs, she's she is boobing breastily across across the in hallway. <laughs> a white nightgown, and so like 
again, I'm not, you know, I'm not as versed as horror, uh, in horror as you are, but like just the quintessential uh, nature of your female uh, victim protagonist in a white fucking nightgown. Yeah. Um, and like, this is such a trope that even as someone who, who doesn't really exist in the horror world very much uh, up till now, um, like, but even I know this trope and this idea of like the, um, the white gown as this like symbol of purity and virginity, um, a nightgown as like uh, a symbol of like youthful girlhood. Like she's in a nightgown. Like, I mean, I don't remember the last time, like, at what age do you stop wearing night, like, pretty fucking early, I feel like. At some point, you're like, nah, I'm I'm good. I don't need to be a pretty princess in bed. I'm good. Like, so, like... Yeah, but I mean, like, that plus the fact that she didn't get killed at that point, right? Like, she, like, even yeah. when I was watching it with Tom, who, again, he he hadn't seen it before, he was even saying, like, you know... I thought she was supposed to be the main character throughout the movie because right? like, she she looked like the picture of virginity and sincerity and that's kind of what we get um that's what we epitomize the final girl as and like we'll talk about the final girl and what that means but just you know Tina yeah. kind of like throwing that off at the beginning and then she has sex and she dies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh my god, I absolutely want to talk to that uh about that when we get there. Um, but then I thought, like, also, just sort of really leaning into the symbolism, there's this sheep that keeps showing up. Um, and so, like, at first I was like, why the fuck? <laughs> like, why is there... I mean, it lends itself to the dream. She's but sheep, of course, when, you, when, you're f- <laughs> when you're first watching it, you don't necessarily know it's a dream, right? So, like, I'm, like, watching this for the first time. I'm like, why the fuck is there a sheep? And then why is there a sheep again? Um, and so, you know, given context that it's a dream, um, it's really interesting because, like, you know, the, as you said, there's this idea of, like, counting sheep to help you fall asleep. But um, later, uh, you learn that uh, you sort of, the these, like, Christian themes are, are kind of leaned on, not super heavily, um, but um, Christian religious texts often portray sheep as, like, a sacrificial object yeah. or as innocent or untouched by earthly sin and so it's really interesting to see this sheep uh sort of in the same context as tina in her like a virginal white nightgown um is this really interesting um i think it it sort of for uh foretells a little bit this idea yeah. that like okay so tina is innocent and pure and untouched right now but eventually she will be the sacrifice and i think like that's 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 very like relevant to the kids in general in this in this movie it's like because we get like the the idea that like you know nancy oh my god nancy is like the if if nancy is like the holy grail final girl like aesthetically wise like that like she she is like fucking baby nancy reagan like oh my god but like oh my god (laughs) but just like you know the the idea that like these kids are really innocent in in all of this Mm -hmm. and like not necessarily just like because of their youth but also because they they are not the ones Mm -hmm. who have wronged freddie and we'll we'll 
We'll talk about why that is. I feel like we're just we just keep saying like we're going to talk about that later. I mean, there's a lot to talk about, but yeah. Um, so like you get this like it was all a dream reveal, and then this like really interesting, weird angled close up. I know very little mm-hmm. about like camera work, but it was just this very like asymmetrical, off center kind of angled zoom in on Tina's face and her terrible, terrible fucking haircut. Um, Damn. Oh my I just, god. Uh, sorry, I'm gonna be railing on Tina's hair for a while. Um, so mom, you know, mom shows up and, and is all like, makes this really weird comment about like, if you're gonna keep having dreams like that, you should cut your nails. Or what? Like, what? Yeah. Like, you, you've got to, like, cut your nails or stop having dreams like that. And that's just, like, the most threatening way to comfort your child. So so mom's weird and says that weird thing. And then, like, you kind of get a vague idea that mom isn't really around because, like, some dude is just like, yo, come fuck me. Yeah. Um, and then we're in school. It's outside. <laughs> And we just like a hard cut. Um, that like the classic, the classic 80s like slide shot. Um, and this is where we first hear the like. Oh, the one, two, Freddy's coming for you. Yeah. Um, and so, so it goes like one, two, Freddy's coming for you. Three, four, better lock your door. Five, six, grab your crucifix. Seven, eight, gonna stay up late. Nine, ten, never sleep again. Um, and so like this to me felt very like, okay, one, you have children singing, which is always the most like fucking terrifying thing ever in the whole world. <laughs> this is coming from someone who is in choir at a very young age. Children Scary. singing, terrifying. Um, but like you also get this sort of setup for like what is gonna happen, what's like the the crux of this horror. And and so Tina is like again coming from like a like you just got plunged into this scenario. Tina's like super freaked out about this dream. And like I don't know, it it seemed a little forced to me. Um this idea that she's just like I mean I feel like okay, she she literally got like scratched at in her dream. Mm, good like, point. I feel like death death dreams are are pretty freaky in and of itself yeah but to have like a constant one and then like also you have like literal scratch marks like coming out of your clothing like that's that's a little spooky yeah also like you gotta have a little bit of a like a suspension of disbelief when it comes to like horror movies yeah that's fair like the whole i i got hurt from a dream yeah that's a that's a great point um so she is talking about her dream and nancy's like i mean they're like fairly supportive without being like oh my god yeah tina you should definitely be freaking the fuck out um and then rod happens um and then rod happens and then rod happens and he's all like she's like i had a dream and he was like i had a heart on tina i'm just dude rod listen okay rod is and i'm not defending rod you know what i'm defending rod (laughs) Especially because we don't know the context, right? Like, she is, she was in the car with two people who she, 
clearly knows and is friends with, and then this guy just shows up behind her. And so you don't, like, you have no idea what their relationship is. So my, like, on my first reading, I was like, so is this just some, like, dude? Just, like, coming onto her, like, in a really aggressive, gross way? And so I was like, ew. But then, of course, like, Tina's, like, makes this weird joke about how, like, her whole name wouldn't fit on his dick or whatever. I just, this whole interaction was just like, guys... <laughs> It's a lot. It's it's teenage antics. Like that's a thing though. Like like uh, like teenagers having teenage sex talk is like a way to kind of be like, "Oh, look at this dick. Look at this asshole. You don't want him to survive, right? He's a child, but also you don't want him to survive, do you?" Ugh. Poor Rod. Um and then I just this is not a shit on Rod and honestly it's kind of not even relevant. But then Rod says up yours with a twirling lawnmower. <laughs> yup. And I am obsessed with this fucking dialogue. <laughs> like what? <laughs> I, I just... We gotta, we gotta get all of it, all of. Oh my god! Just use that from now on. Just use it. I, right? Like, bring it back, guys. Up yours with a twirling lawnmower. If we get merch, I want our first t-shirt. <laughs> we're just, like, already episode one. We're going to get merch, and it's uh, yeah. up yours with a twirling it's lawnmower. It's going to be up yours with a twirling lawnmower. Oh, oh, what about... What is different? Anyway, I have some... What's a twirling lawnmower? Anyway, sorry. Totally off topic. Um, So, Tina's freaked out, and Rod's pissed off, and... Glenn and Nancy are like, okay. Um, but so Nancy says this thing and she's like, he made the finger knives himself. Um, and so like, we're supposed to get this idea that like, like Nancy is also having the same dream, which gets spookier. But it, it like was really interesting to me because we saw that scene at the very beginning of him making the knives. And so like, it was that her dream also it was it was a very cool technique i felt like and a lot of it is is really just like figuring out who's in control of the dream and that plays into like how the story plays out and like how freddie ultimately like mm -hmm. gets got but like you know freddie is for the most part in control of these nightmares like it's yeah it's his domain he knows how to he knows how to extract the fear that he needs to get from them and so like he can obviously show what he wants to show when it comes to that. And I think that that level of control over over these young kids is like very symbolic of, you know, the the pressure and like the the severity that they feel their parents are like putting on them to be adults because it seems like and this is like maybe more of a tangent, but it just seems like um you know, the the parents are really faltering. Like, they're... And, and it's mm. very apparent that they're, like, they're really bad at parenting. And, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, from the get. Like, holy shit. I mean, the mom... I'll, I'll talk about Nancy's mom because I think she's, like, a whole different level of... Not necessarily yeah. a bad parent, but a misunderstood character. And I think that, like... Uh, just in general, mm. I feel like these, these kids feel like they have to be more adult... Um, to compensate for the lack of adult care that they're getting and that yeah that's like manifesting in their dreams almost yeah absolutely I mean I mean we definitely like we've already seen that with Kina's mom we're definitely gonna get that more as the as the movie goes on um I don't have anything to like 
else like any other notes until after like the weird creepy noise at Tina's house. So oh, don't yeah. let me rush past. Um, oh no, let's get had... into it. I'm I'm ready to okay. get into the scares and the the blood. <clears throat> okay, so so they're all over at Tina's house because Tina's freaked, whatever. And then like Tina, they hear this noise in the background. They all walk out, and they're like fucking groping Glenn. Like both of them. I just it's so fucking funny to me yes. i don't know i mean like it's baby johnny depp so like i get it but <laughs> they're just like both of them it was very interesting um and i just i need to take a break here in this moment to do uh the first of several segments this episode which i am uh tentatively calling fashion alert um oh yes please do i have like a tentative one as well for you okay because Holy fuck, Glenn's fit. He is in a baby blue knit vest over this, like, white polo with, like, cap sleeves that then, like, are more fitted at the bicep. And then he's, like, and they're, like, puffy. And then these, like, fucking tight-fitting acid wash jeans. You can see, like, every single curve of Johnny Depp's ass in these jeans. Holy fuck. It's a lot. It's, it's like a beautiful fit, and I think it's like the most 80s. The puffy polo sleeves, the blue, baby blue on light denim. Ah, but brilliant. <laughs> Anywho. It's it's so great. I, I especially, and this is something that I wanted to like bring up to you. It was part of my questions is just like talking about like the sweaters of this movie. Because, oh my like, God, the sweaters in this movie. As a knitter, I am just. I mean, holy just, fuck. Yeah, all of Nancy's sweaters. Oh my god, like... I I will be talking about Nancy's sweaters. <laughs> Don't get it. And twisted. then I mean, obviously Freddie's sweater. Freddie's sweater is like is Freddie's sweater. I mean, it's iconic. It's the only thing I knew about this movie. Is his sweater. <laughs> so so it turns out like it's just Rod being an asshole with a hoe, which is wild. <laughs> um, and again, a brief mention: Rod's in like this satin shirt that is entirely open one except button. for like one There's button one button, button waist <laughs> like it's it's like all fucking chest it's bonkers so like glenn's all like you fucking dick and rod's answer is to pull a knife on glenn yeah um and also fucking yeet the garden like full on it's a it's kind of a funny moment i laughed um like he just kind of chucks this garden hoe like and i'm like what are you what rod rod is like the the like fucking epitome of a like a greaser character right yeah so this is this is gonna be i think probably the first and last time i really really shit on rod um but i have some issues with rod at this moment in the movie as a first time viewer um he's very aggressive and he's very angry and very like um sort of has these elements of toxic masculinity that are just really unfortunate to me um and so i mean kind of as you said before you know you're being set up to be like don't you know this guy's a kid but won't you be happy when he dies won't that be a relief um uh and so like you know, this, like, whole, like, I got a hard-on and my dick and I'm gonna cut Glenn for basically telling me off and, and intentionally scare Tina and then proceed to, like, manhandle her? 
there's a there's a lot wrong with Rod, and I and I have again, as I said, I have space for Rod, and I will absolutely get there. But like at this point in the movie, I was like, Rod, no, he. And I'm not saying that I like I like Rod as a character. This character of like the aggro male who like is is in it to fuck and like that's about it. Um is like the catalyst for a lot of like horror yeah. action. So like he's <laughs> he's integral to the plot. But also like I there's I feel for Rod in a lot of ways. <laughs> I do also. I do also, and I, I, I will like, yeah. But, but in this moment in the movie, I'm just like, dude, like this is what's wrong with, <laughs> with like teenage masculinity. Um, and that's that's a very, um, uh, that's a very simplistic way of putting it. But, but like, but like I know what you mean. It's like it's yeah. It's it's the um, you know, <laughs> it's it's literally just toxic masculinity. You know, like you you have to just like. You have to have sex with your girlfriend, and you gotta be a dick about it, and act aggro in front of the other dude. This gross performance of, like, aggression and sexuality and physique that is just, like, really unnecessarily, um, and... And also, that kind of, like, leans into a a big thing I want to talk about is this, like, this we... I just have... I'm uncomfortable with the way this relationship is portrayed, uh, because at, at the beginning, like, you don't even know that they have a relationship up until, like, right now. Like, there's no indication that Rod and Tina are anything more than, like, people who happen to talk to each other sometimes in school. Um, yeah. And, like, at the beginning, she's just not into him coming on to her. And it, it really just, just kind of feels like he's harassing her. And then he shows up and he's all like, blah, blah, sex, sex. And then she's like... I think the audience is supposed to think that she's into it and into him, but he's, like, basically manhandling her, like, into the house. And so it's, like, really hard, especially from uh, aughts, I guess this is the aughts, the 2020s perspective, uh, like, it's really hard to tell if this is a consensual interaction, much less, like, a consensual relationship, um, because we really didn't, we don't have up until this moment a lot of uh, moments, and and of course then we have the extremely loud sex and their interaction afterwards that that sort of reveals this relationship and that clearly they've been together for a while. But like in this moment, you're like, who is this guy to Tina? And like it, it's I don't know. The whole thing made me um a wee bit uncomfortable. Yeah, it's, you know, and it's just like the, and I don't want to like run it off like it's a, it's of the time because I definitely don't want to do that. And I think that's kind of lazy when it comes to like a lot of this shit. And that's going to happen a lot in horror movies Mm -hmm. that we're going to talk about. So I'm not going to do that. It's not really excusable. But just like the, Mm -hmm. the act of just like this dude being so aggro with his maybe girlfriend, we don't know at the time, and then just, like, us supposed to be okay with that kind of violence but not okay with a different kind of violence that happens in the movie. It's just, like, it's it's one of those things that, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it, like, it problematizes um, these relationships with women in in horror. And I think, you know, it's, it's definitely something that needs to be discussed. Yeah, and I just, for me, like, one of, one of the biggest things that I have issues with is is this idea that we normalize a woman is resisting, but she's actually, like, 
Act- she's so she actually, actually into, into it. it. Yeah. And yeah. that that causes so many issues. It encourages so much badness um, in general. And and I also feel like it, again, I, I said up at the top, I really believe that, that the media we watch affects how we understand the world. And so it really, I think, teaches any young people watching this that like that's okay like tina said no but it's okay because she was actually into it and that's like that's not something i really think that we should be promoting as a message yeah and i don't i don't think that that's i don't want to say i don't think that's what's happening i think that like at least nowadays i don't think that at least i don't hope that kids are taking that i, th- I hope they take that with a grain with a grain of salt like this is not yeah okay yeah. actually it was it was just something that like really stuck out to me and so I, I wanted to bring it up and really like sit with sort of the complexities and like uncomfortability of that moment and then uh the lab sex happens uh and um rod says this thing and this is where i start having room for rod rod says this thing that's like guys can have nightmares too you know and exactly like this is where you start seeing his depth um and it's like this weird like feminist moment kind of out of left field for what we've seen of rod so far um because it's like really acknowledging outside of this like performative toxic aggression that he's been putting on like he seems to really genuinely care about tina yeah it's like it's like legitimate pillow talk (laughs) um right like actual pillow talk that's just like you know which definitely complicates what i was like literally just saying 30 seconds ago but like but like it was this really interesting moment in which again media is sort of reflecting on on like he might be performing this level of like nonchalance and aggression, but like he, based on this sentence, this one singular sentence, he clearly gives her. Yeah, it's it's definitely like showing, and I mean, this is like essentially to show that you know it's not just like women being targeted in this, and it's also showing that it's just like all of these kids are having these dreams. So it's like mm-hmm. it works into the plot as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um. And so now we have, of course, like the antithesis of the virginal white nightgown um, is this uh, like very awesome short sleeve pinstripe oh, button up. Yes. Um, oh with no my pants. god, I love it! It's I a, love it it's so a much. hot look. It's it's a very it's a very hot look. The hair, Tina's hair, I really just can't get over it. Um, but but like she's looking sexy. Um, I'm kind of into it, I, honestly. It gives me like. Mackenzie Phipps from the it's either Phipps or Phillips from um the newest Terminator movie oh um, yep 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 and I have a really big crush on her so I feel <laughs> like it's just like it's very fitting oh yeah it's it, I god I love a woman in a button up and no pants um <laughs> <laughs> it's a weakness um but so this is a very good look but of course this is like a huge like dichotomy from her opening scene outfit um, and so this is sort of like the turn, right? Uh, it's, I think, also important to note that this is not a simply white button-up. It is pinstripe. The white has been marred. Her purity and virginity has been marred. Um, based on the whole sex noise thing, maybe she wasn't a virgin at first, but now we know for sure, <laughs> definitely not a virgin. Um so, Yeah, it's just like the immediately after sex thing. Like, you have yeah. sex in a horror movie you die now you, you die now that's um, what happens yeah apparently so so we get this like elastic face ceiling effect thing which is like 
impressive CGI, um, I felt like. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Nancy's cuddling a crucifix, which sort of references the song from earlier. And, and Tina is uh, doing her wandering. And, and now, of course, I think you realize, or at some point very quickly, you're going to realize that she isn't. And we finally get the, like, first Freddy reveal. Like, actual, right? This is the first time we see him in the movie. This is... This is like full Freddy, long arm Freddy. I oh love my God. long arm Freddy Holy so much. Fuck. His arms are... S- okay, my, my literal note when watching this. His arms are slinkies. His face is wet. Why is he running like that? <laughs> yes, it's, because he's Freddy and he's goofy and I love him so much. It's really, it's really quite good. It is not scary, but it's really quite enjoyable. Um, like freaking the wobbly slinky arm. It just is so good. Um, this yeah. is where the camp in horror comes in. This is literally oh like God, yeah. the king of campy horror is Wes Craven and specifically Freddy. Like, and then apropos of nothing, Freddy's like, "Now this is God," and I'm like, "What the fuck?" Yes, this is God. Obviously, my hand. This is God. Come on um, now. Okay. All right, Fred. The dramatic. Um, I just. It's so, like, so dramatic. It's so theatrical. And this was, like, not something I really processed in this moment while I was watching this movie. But, like, this, Freddy's whole shtick is so theatrical. It's so dramatic. And um, I just, oh, my God. We're, we're going to have to get through the second and third one, the second and third movie in the franchise as well. Because, like, that it's so essential yeah. to Freddy's character that he is like as theatrical as he is and that's a lot that um people like at like people have um noted that this camp and that this theatricality like like coincides with his queer Mm. coding um like not necessarily for better Mm -hmm. or for worse but just like that's he is like he has leaned like robert england has like leaned into this camp and this queer Mm -hmm. coding to kind of like not necessarily the detriment of his like like character but more or like as like a scary character but more so like showcasing like a side of horror that a lot of people really resonated with and I think a lot of the queer community really resonates with um Freddy Krueger as a character which is so fucking weird to say um but at the same time like queer queer villains is not necessarily a horror exclusive thing i mean he is he is a fabulous gay bitch i will say um part of me part of me has room for tina in this moment because it's a dream and like dream logic is weird but the other part of me which is like why the why like you're actually in the middle of running away and you're gonna stop and turn around and what like what just mess around (laughs) freddy just be a friend just go chill just be Freddy. It's so fab. Um, and then we have this, and stop me if I'm skipping ahead too fast, but we have this fucking wild death scene in which, like, I was yes. so impressed. For, like, 1984, like, she's, like, crawling on the walls and the ceiling and she's flipping around and the blood is going everywhere. And, like, it was, like, so 
uh, well acted, I felt. Yeah. Um, the actor who plays Rob, Rod, um, both of them, they're doing such an excellent job. And this. I fucking love Rod in this scene, honestly. Just being like Tina over and over again. Tina! 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 Oh my god. It gives me like Finn energy in The Rise of Skywalker. Just shouting Ray every five seconds for no reason. What are you doing? (laughs) Clearly, that's not working, my guy. But like, I I just, this whole thing is is so well acted. I mean, Rod's fucking useless, but he seems upset anyway. Um, He's sad, but he doesn't know what to do. I mean, his girlfriend's on the wall. I mean, I get it. If my girlfriend was on the ceiling, I'd be like, I don't know. I'm five foot three. (laughs) I can't touch her. I I can't do anything about this. Yeah, so I, I just this whole scene is really quite excellent. I was really impressed. I mean, it's 1984, so they I think really did an excellent job. There's like a shit ton of blood, and so you know they burst in. Tina's dead, and we hard cut to the police. Um, boo! Nancy's dad and Nancy's mom are like assholes, and we continue yes. the theme of like shit parenting. Um, I like there's a place in my heart for Nancy's mom in some instances. Oh, oh, yes. Uh, I don't think she's a shit person. I think she's not parenting at her best all the time in this movie. Yeah. And I think to some extent that's fair, I guess. I don't know. I'm not going to make excuses that much. But also, like, she gets a pretty shit deal. Oh, yeah. I, I think uh, in in all the cases in this movie in like. Every single character, I, what I will say is that pretty much all of them, I think, are portrayed in a, well, except for Freddy. But I think every single, like, human character is portrayed in a decently complex way where it's really hard to get behind just hating or just liking um, any one of these characters. Um, which is, again, really impressive because, like, we only got Tina, like, for, like, 30 minutes, maybe. Um, but we still, you know, we barely get Rod for that much time. Um, but each of these characters still get uh, a fairly decent shot at, at just being people and not being like, oh, you're all bad or you're all good. So uh, if we skip ahead to the like next morning, uh, I just want to do another fashion alert again because holy shit. Yes, 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 yes. Nancy in her pink cabled sweater vest and her matching pink pinstripe button down. And she's like. And the pearl earrings. And the pearl earrings. And she's even making the khakis work. I just. It's so good. Serving final girl realness. It's so good. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, very 80s preppy. I'm loving it. Um, and then in class, they're talking about Shakespeare, and there's this uh, line that's basically like, what is seen is not always reality. Um, human nature has something rotten inside. Um, and I think that's super interesting because we are even seeing, like, Freddy's, some of his, like, theatrical horrorness are this, like, these self-harm visuals that, like, reveal like yeah maggots and like weird green slime instead of like normal organs um and and then you self-harm visuals like they're not great um and this is like the worst part of the movie for me um and i i just really questioned this choice um as do, I, I is like, it like the the self-harm specifically or is it like the the manner of which it is I think it's just like 
uh, from like an analytical standpoint, like what is the purpose? Like, is it to uh, like a demonstration to induce fear or disgust? Is it like to display Freddy's invulnerability? Um, and I just like really, I just had some questions about like, is this pathologizing self-harm in like a, a harmful way? Or is it just a fucking doofy horror movie doing do for horror movie things and like he's bleeding green slime or whatever. I, I don't know, it was very... I And not to like cut you off, I think it's a very much like a campy horror. I think it's, it's very, it's emblematic of, of campy horror in that that's like, kind of a huge element of like the scare factor that some of these like monster creatures will do is like they'll they'll showcase their invulnerability but they'll do it in such a way that like grosses you out because like part of being scared sometimes is being grossed out being grossed out yeah um there's a there's a lot of gross out moments in this movie that were not for me personally but i also (sighs) think that like freddie is kind of trying to showcase the um like it and maybe maybe this is it, like analyzing it a little too far but just like the 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 kind of like horrors of man like the like the quote kind of persists like on the inside mm-hmm. like there's always darkness on the inside and yeah. i think the like that the kind inside, of yeah. like goes along with the parents who basically killed him <laughs> um and that that kind of horror yeah. that lies within them that they're carrying with them and that you know we're when we see freddy as like this big scary monster kind of creature you know he is very obvious in that but like to to think of like your parents or literally anyone who could have like literally set a building on fire and let a man die in there that is a monstrous act and i think this kind of showcases that yeah you know there's there's horrors in different people absolutely um and then nancy learns that she can be hurt in her dreams because nancy like tina we know this as the audience and tina knows this um or knew this um but now nancy learns that like she wakes herself up by burning herself but she's burnt in in the waking world also um and so we can sort of see her um learning about freddy kind of begin um and here is the promised moment for rod it just okay so like in movies the whole the boyfriend did it is like such like an obvious go-to trope um but like rod is this weird figure because he does the toxic masculinity performance thing but in reality like the cop dad describes him as this like no good punk musician and so i really want to like think about in the ways in which rod is like not a normative guy yeah. you know glenn is posed as this like jock and he's very stereotypical and preppy and like straight laced uh ish and and rod is this like punk musician kid who like has feelings and so i think it's really interesting that they like immediately this poor kid is like what 16 17 maybe and like everyone's like oh he fucking brutally murdered tina and they are not willing to even consider any other option yeah um again i mean it sets it up in such a way that like yeah he has a knife and he's the only one in the room blah blah but like everyone is so quick to persecute rod and and in reality you know rod gets arrested and he's in jail and he's like i i couldn't help her I didn't know how to help her. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't stop it. Someone was there, but I couldn't see who. So yeah. I don't have, like, I can't help the cops catch this guy. And I can't help myself 
you know, catch this guy because I didn't see her and he's just so upset and hurt and and horrified at the thought that, you know, Nancy could believe that she would hurt Tina and I just really have I have a heart for, for Rod in this moment. I, I have a heart for Rod. I have a heart for like everything that he he kind of has to go through. And I think this kind of goes into what I wanted to talk about, um, as far as like Tina and Rod's characters, because I think there's a lot of problematic language that gets thrown around in talking about them um, mm-hmm. and in talking about, like, specifically the first two kids who died in this in this movie who kind of seem like they're from the wrong side of the track. Like, a lot mm-hmm. of, like, their sin is associated with, like, sex and, like, you know, they're, they're, they're being problematized by their behavior, like, through their behavior. And, like, Tina... It ha- does not seem like she is coming from like a stable or like a wealthy or even like um, middle class household. You know, she seems like she's coming from like yeah. a poor, a poor upbringing. And then Rod, like we don't really know much about his upbringing, but yeah. at the same time, like where the fuck are his parents? Yeah. He's in jail. Like literally, like he is just seen automatically by authority figures as somebody who should not be trusted. Which kind of leads you to yeah. understand that this kid is probably also from the wrong side of the tracks because of that. Because cops don't like poor people. <laughs> um, yeah. But like, you know, just like the language around that and the language around how we're supposed to see their death. And it's just like, you know, they are warnings of like the sinful mm-hmm. actions leading to this kind of downfall. And like when we get to like Nancy and Glenn, it's more so like how do we protect them? Like it's it's more on like the yeah. protective front than it is for the sacrificial mm-hmm. of like the sacrifice of mm-hmm. the sinners when it comes to like, you know, Rod and Tina. Yeah. And I think that's just like definitely, you know, absolutely the, the problematic language that goes into it, like alongside just calling these kids crazy. They call they call Rod a lunatic. Um, they say like, and Rod ends up mm-hmm. hanging himself from Freddie's influence in his dreams. So basically, like that kind of confirms what the authorities already mm-hmm. thought of him. That like he commits suicide. He was depressed. He had mental issues, like mental illness issues, and so that confirms what their suspicions already led them to. And I think that like. That and then also going along the lines of where the franchise goes with this, because in the third one, their like Dream Warriors actually takes place in a mental um, institution. Um, oh, with Nancy there. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of um, sort of ableist language surrounding mental health um, in this, and I imagine that is probably fairly consistent across horror, um, because yeah. you know some of the scariest things are the things that you know you can't prove to others are real. Um, but, but anyway, I, I had just, I have a lot of move, uh, room for Rod in this moment and a lot of room for Rod, like, they fucking even shit on him at his funeral. Like, Jesus Christ, this poor kid. Yeah. Um, fucking, uh, yeah, the, the knife right? or something that, like, <laughs> like, the, whatever the sword you use in life will be the sword that does you, de- like, fuck off, priest, Jesus. Yeah, like, dude, the kid's the kid's dead you still gonna chastise him jesus um so uh skipping ahead a little bit you know nancy goes home and this scene she's in the bathtub the camera is situated between her legs and her legs are like spread and we're looking through her legs out her face at this sort of like 
were looking up at her from below. Um, and then it's like this very intimate, vulnerable, sexual... Uh, why did I say it like that? Sexual. sexual. Um, uh, it's this very intimate, vulnerable, sexual uh, situation. And then we see Freddy's knife, finger knives as... They are want to be called like come out of the water. This is an iconic right scene. at like her groin area, and this scene like it's just like it's it's t- this is the scariest part for me. Um, like this yeah. moment is it's so raw and intimate and vulnerable. There's something very vulnerable about being in a bathtub, um, and she's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's like that's very much like the thing that they're trying to evoke mm-hmm. here is like in your dreams in like a bathtub like you're in these spaces that are supposed to be very private intimate and like safe and like taking that safety away from you and especially for like these Mm -hmm. young kids um it goes like very back and forth because like there's like moments of innocence that happen right beforehand and then you immediately go into this like nancy is naked Mm -hmm. in a bathtub and you know fucking freddy krueger's coming for her crotch like it's it's very much like a hard switch to kind of like showcase the the ferocity that like this horror can like and they do so good at framing nancy as this like innocent creature and and so like it very much feels like she is she is so vulnerable and, and in this moment it's it's yeah it's very it's very well done um and uh, then there's this meta scene where Nancy is watching a horror movie, well, in a horror movie, um, and I think that's very fun. But she's watching The Evil Dead. Yeah. Um, she's watching yeah. The Evil Dead, and I found this like fact, this like fun fact. Um, so she's watching a scene from The Evil Dead, but the audio coming from the screen is at a different point in the movie. They like overlapped. Wait, no way. From a, yeah. Um, I just it was very very interesting. I thought that was because they they like that particular scene is not a scene where there's that much screaming, and they like put the screaming audio from a from a later point in the movie. Um, oh my gosh, I've never noticed that. Oh my god, now I need to go back and watch that. Right. Um. And then I think it's interesting just to sort of keep on this like white outfit theme. So Nancy is in like this white pajama pants set. Which honestly um, I kind so of she- want. <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, and this isn't necessarily like a, a fashion moment for me. But I think it's interesting because she's in white. Like she's still that like virginal figure. But she's in pants. Which I think is um, an interesting visual to sort of cue her level of competence. It's um, more mobility, right? The, like, yeah, she's got way more mobility. And um, I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the movie that you know Kina is so bad at running, but she's also like in this fucking ankle-length nightgown. And so, uh, conversely, Nancy is still virginal; she's still pure according to the white outfit, but she's way more mobile and capable because she's in pants. Pants yeah. are great. She, that's, like, her, very much her character is just, like, like, the most capable person you have ever met. Yeah. Um, and thus begins the downfall of Glenn, because he fucking Glenn. starts being really shit about being backup. And we get, so, like, this becomes, like, exposition point in the movie. Like, we go do the sleep study, and mom clearly knows the name Fred Krueger, 
and Glenn it makes this weird comment about Balinese dream skills, which is not a thing. It's, it's I not. looked it up. Um, Bali is a is a province in Indonesia, um, and so this whole like concept of dream skills a little bit like weird exoticism, orientalism, oh, yes. Oh, yes. bullshit. Not a big fan. Um, but this is just like a lot of it's like exposition, and we finally get this reveal that that Nancy's mom was part of this group of parents that tracked down Fred Krueger during his life because he was killing children, and. They went to his, like, hideout and burnt it down while he was inside. And she kept his fucking glove as a trophy. Jesus Christ. Right? Mom. Like, fucking morbid as fuck. Like, what the hell? she keeps it in a furnace in her cellar. That, you know, there is something, like, impeccably horror movie about your mom, like, being approached by your mom who's in her pajamas, drinking, smoking, and is like, come to the cellar, I have to tell you a story. Like, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, like, Poor Nancy. okay, mom. That sounds Nancy, great. <laughs> Nancy is going through it. If she didn't get a gray streak in her hair because of the dream, like this this scene would give me a gray streak in my hair. He can't hurt you because mommy killed him? Yikeroni. Yes, that is. It's a lot of like parents and adults feeling like they're doing what they need to do. But being very off track, and this is something that, like, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, actually, especially about, like, Freddie, you know, like, when it comes to Freddie being, um, you know, they, they say that, like, Freddie killed these children that they knew, and I just wanted to ask you, like, do you think that he did it? Like, do you think that he murdered those kids? Do you think that his pa- the parents were right? I, well, I mean, the parents were absolutely not right in just fucking murdering a dude. But, like, do you um, think they were right that he did it? I think in this movie, there is no way to tell. Um, like, there's no evidence for that. There's no reality. Like, we have no idea who these kids are, right? Like, we have, you know, there's nothing to to say, oh yeah, he definitely did that. So it's it's really like Nancy's mom's word against no one because also Freddie doesn't get a chance to defend himself. Um, given your question, like, no. He must not have. <laughs> but, but like this... <laughs> but yeah, like there is there's nothing to show the audience like, oh yeah, this guy is definitely a freak and deserved to die. There's no... There's no proof. There's no reason. Um, and frankly, why would you become a supernatural dream ghost and take your revenge on a bunch of people's kids if you weren't murdered for no reason? Um, uh, yeah. But it's interesting, like, okay, so why now? Like, why is why is he coming back now to, to haunt these kids? Um, uh... Like, I don't know. I, I was curious about, like, what was the, the motivation there. Like, it's been years? It must have been years. So, like, why why is this the time he decided? Like, you know, time to start killing yeah. kids. Um, and, I mean, it's, like, it's definitely the, the horror movie motivation of just, like, 
they're teenagers yeah. at this point they're of yeah. killable age right like you don't you don't want to see uh, a bunch of kids like younger kids getting killed oh that's fair yeah um i'm gonna skip ahead a little bit for another fashion alert glenn in that beautiful crop top and those sweatpants and you know i am usually top. not here for uh men's sweatpants uh which is a wild thing to say but man with the cut abs and the low slung sweatpants and yeah oh boy i feel like i'm never in i feel like i'm never into johnny depp and i say that proudly i have never really been into johnny depp that's fair i i i haven't really found him that attractive but like Young, mm. like baby Johnny Depp. I'm not gonna say baby Johnny Depp. Let me not say that. No. Um, <laughs> young adult, young adult Johnny Depp. Yeah. Is pretty goddamn hot. Like I feel like oh. up till Sleepy Hollow, I think I could probably find him like attractive. The eyes and the jawline and the cut abs underneath the fucking cropped, cropped. Anyway, cooling down. Uh, because especially cooling down any yeah. amount of love for Glenn I have is ruined by him being like Miss Nude America. Who cares what she's saying? And his fucking mom's like, ha ha, boys. Like what? I just, you know what? He's it, like, I I didn't have any love for him at all in the first place because he just fucks up at every five second turn. Like, oh yeah, I'll stay awake and watch you, Nancy. Oh yeah, I'll 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 come see you at midnight. Like, no, fuck you, Glenn. You didn't do shit. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Glenn, really killing me. I was willing to give him, like, he's at least neutral. He seemed, like, put together. He wasn't making weird dick jokes at Tina. But, like, oh, boy, Glenn, you're no. really taking a turn for the worse here. Just fucking, um, like, his tombstone will read, he was here, he did nothing, and then he just died. And then he died. Um, okay. I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. And then yes. the bottom of the phone turns into a tongue and licks her. Oh, god i wanted to send you a picture that i found from this uh, and it was just like an outtake uh, um i just sent it to you in our group chat but literally like okay. just <laughs> if you want to oh. explain your feelings like, about it it's just like la, 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 and i'm like oh, 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 oh. i i love it so much uh yeah it's just like his tongue is so close to her tongue while she's talking. I just Ugh. like the picture of Nancy, basically just like almost tonguing Freddy. It's very funny. Tongue to tongue with Freddy Krueger. It's really unfortunate. That should be, I think, our first. Our, well, maybe not our first. Our first Instagram post should probably be our logo. Our second Instagram <laughs> post needs to be that. Anyway, gross. Um, I actually wrote down in all caps, tongue out of the phone. Ah, no. Um, the camp, though. The camp, The camp is though. great. And uh, also along the lines of camp. So Glenn's watching TV and we get this announcement that he's watching station KRGR, which is short for Kruger, which I think is yep. great. Um, and it kind of gives us uh, a notice that Glenn is dreaming. Um, and then he sinks into this bed sinkhole and turns into a blood volcano. Yes. Uh, and this scene is so much and so beautiful and legitimately really well done in a very campy way. 
Um, and I did a little digging because I fucking love this ginormous fucking blood volcano yes. bullshit. And I found out that they pumped 500 gallons of fake blood into an upside down set. Yes. And it ended up getting everywhere and like shorted out all the electronics yeah. and got like all up in the cameras that they were renting apparently yikes um, yeah, it was like a really big like a really big deal that like yeah. i'm pretty sure west craven estate he's like he would never do that again <laughs> yeah um but like it didn't ruin the film so that's great and um the other fun fact i found out while i was digging into this is that the glenn's upside down bedroom set for the fake blood volcano is the same set as tina's bedroom and they just like redid it up which makes sense i don't know why you'd make two upside down bedroom sets yeah but um it was just it was really well done it was really kind of pretty like watching the flow of the fake blood i sound morbid and weird now no Um, it's like honestly i was gonna say that this is kind of like my my good death scene and like this is like a segment that i was contemplating adding of just like you know what is the good death like there's always like a death in a horror movie that you're just like oh yeah this is this is fucking choice it was was really great it was really well done it was like like i love a good practical effect and this was absolutely that and uh yeah it was it was great fucking tight and then i just kind of kind of skip a little bit because you know blah blah no one believes nancy dad's being dumb nancy has to parent her mom and like put her mom to bed um and then she fucking does the damn thing yeah right goes full-on commando badass and is like fine fuck you i'll bring him into the real world and i'll beat him up and does like a really good job and i i don't know if we're supposed to understand that like freddy is like not as powerful in real life which makes more sense to me like in the waking world he is like not as powerful um and so yeah, she like he just like he doesn't he does not have the like powers yeah. in the real world like he's just a, a person a um so nancy whoops fucking ass um oh and yeah. figures out that like he's not gone and then but like runs up to her mom's room too late and he's like on top of her in this like really weird kind of gross way and she like turns into this weird shroud wrapped skeleton and like the inside like inside of her bed falls away and she just kind of like floats into the darkness it was yes wild um that was her dying that was that was her being a dead person now in case anyone had any questions about it fucking bonkers um and and so nancy (laughs) like does this really awesome thing and she like is like fuck you i'm not giving you any more of my energy i want my family back i want my mom back i want my friends back you are a dream and i take back the energy i gave you and he like fucking like i don't know transporters yes, laser oh uh, the 80s effects they really kill me uh and he's gone and she walks out of the room and her mom's fine and her friends are picking her up from school and that's absolutely definitely a hundred percent where the movie ends and everything's okay 
Yes, definitely. And the definitely. they they got like a Freddy Krueger themed car just yeah, for because, the hell of it because they yeah. really liked the print on his sweater. Yeah, they were like the that actually that orange green stripe combo, great. Loved that. Love it. Want a car like that. Yeah, just the 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 absolute like departure into fucking otherworldliness of just like yeah this is this is your life now is just wondering whether or not things are real or things are fake and like not knowing whether or not he's gone yeah it was um it's very like inception before inception (laughs) kind of deal um i mean like spoiler alert there's like six other movies so he's not gone (laughs) and also like there are like three different endings and so like depending on which ending like you watched like sometimes Nancy's mom gets like sucked wholesale into the like peak hole went door like yeah. of her door. I I personally really appreciated this idea of like Nancy took back her energy and so yes, she's gonna spend the rest of her life questioning whether anything is reality, but like she defeated Freddy. For now, at least. Um, and I really felt that was very empowering. And so yeah. I was less a fan of the ending options that were like, oh, you thought. Because it really felt like they kind of nullified that empowering moment. And I think that's like a lot of fans kind of like uh, beef with it is they, they wanted that first ending to just be it. And I think they changed yeah. it just because like they, they knew he had to come back and they had to have that one last scare. Because that's like a very like classic slasher adjacent um kind of like ending like you have to have that one last scare they had it in carrie they had it in like friday the 13th i'm not going to tell you anything about these because we're gonna watch these movies but like you know cool um there's there's always that one last scare yeah and it's definitely you know a a trope and and something that even i know you know but like, I did really appreciate the ending that was just like, okay, and they're driving off in an orange car and it's okay. Because I, I wanted Nancy to have that win. I mean, you do. Yeah. Like, as an audience member, you want, like, she works so hard and she had to do it all herself and by herself. And none of the grown-ups in her life were there for her while she was trying to tackle this huge thing. And so you want her to be, like, powerful enough because she tried so hard. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's like, as the final girl she she kind of like primes the role basically stating like that she she is taking ownership of her of her own space in this in this yeah. whole situation and i think that's like really mm-hmm. important like to know you know like this is this is like her space Agreed. and she's claiming it and i think if we want to go into um like the final girl as a character because that's someone we are going to talk about throughout this entirety and not even just like the final girl the final boy and other iterations as well but the final girl really kind of like Mm -hmm. got its start um in the halloween franchise um and carol j clover who wrote men women and chainsaws um set up the parameters for the final girl and i can kind of like list those out if you want Um, yeah absolutely essentially she is she's abject horror personified the character is supposed to like outlast her friends either being saved or killing the monster in the end um and they're almost entirely female like, the protagonist is almost entirely female. The The final girl is almost entirely female. She's 
the the epitome of our hope and fear throughout the movie and she carries the burden of her life through her friends Mm. deaths um but also showcases what life is privileged among those characters like we see with like tina and rod you know like the final girl is innocence she is like like you know like nancy like she is like innocence she's baby nancy reagan she is Mm. like um Mm -hmm. like the american Mm -hmm. way like she's persistent Mm -hmm. she's chaste she's like yeah she like earns her survival like she works for it yeah exactly like that it's it's very much so someone who has to earn their keep um and that that kind of like yeah like literally like the that kind of like need to to be this character in order to survive and clover goes into this and how it's not necessarily a good thing and obviously there's like a lot that's wrong with it and i think nowadays we see a lot in horror the final girl seen as more so a character to be um like to aspire to be almost or to aspire to kind of like Mm -hmm. be uh similar to and clover actually like commented on this she's said that like she's kind of detached from her low budget origins and messier meetings she now circulates in these mostly cleaner and more upscale venues as a female avenger triumphant feminist hero and the like kind of like a freaking terminator like she she has to be like this badass Mm. character in order to survive and like fight and like truly get there and to me like Nancy kind of shows the roots of this character and that she has that ingenuity and she has that fight in her but she also has that like femininity and that like um that chaste upbringing that kind of like showcases that this is a problematic character this is not something that you necessarily need to strive for and I I just think that it's important to know. Yeah, and I mean, even even the concept of like you have to earn the right to live yeah. is is really something that it's a big yikes. Just horrible. <laughs> it's a big yikes. It's really horrible to contemplate. Um, and I of course I feel like we will continue to unpack this idea as we go on in other yeah yeah it's it's more of just like this nancy is just like very much so very like fits that description to a t yeah and um yeah yeah and then we have like other female characters like nancy's mom who gets the bad Mm. death she gets like a very fucking cryptic horror death that like it's it's rough shit and the whole movie like her alcoholism is really used as like a joke or uh, a criticism, and I mean, this poor woman really feels like it seems like she's been yeah. And it's it. like um, Tom and I were both just saying like she's not like a bad mom. Like she's literally like taking her daughter to like dream study like sessions with doctors. She's putting bars on the windows to like protect she's like she's doing her trying. best yeah like, it's not good like it's, it's it's not good it's not what you should be doing yeah. but she's actually like giving a fuck and trying um which is more than i could say mm. for her fucking cop dad who didn't do jack shit jesus christ God. <laughs> <laughs> so okay 
I really just want to know, okay, you didn't have to get scared by the movie, but did you like the movie? I did. I did really enjoy it. Um, I really, uh, my note taking like very much came and went because I kept getting distracted by just watching the movie. Um, I really did enjoy it. I really enjoyed like it felt like a very good basis, like a setup for okay, this is what a classic horror movie is. This is what a classic horror movie looks mm-hmm. like. This is the character archetypes and the sort of plot arc, which is I think why um you had suggested this as our first episode because it it very much epitomizes the the classic horror um concept yeah um so yeah i i did really enjoy it um i'm very excited i'm very excited to watch a couple movies that are like legitimately scary uh i'm really excited to to have those conversations um yeah i think we'll go into like a more actually terrifying movie next so stay tuned for that yeah yeah, so I'm I'm really excited. It was a really good, I think, jumping off point to like start my my personal like journey into horror for like I mean, I've seen a few, but it, it is essentially the f- the first time that I'm really like making a point to watch any horror movies. Yeah. And with uh, me. <laughs> you get to watch it with, with somebody you. who watches hor- so who watches fun. horror movies way too fucking much and loves them way too fucking much. <laughs> it's a perfect dichotomy. Oh yeah. This is great. This is gonna be fun. Um <laughs> Well, uh I think we are now leaving Horror Bluffs. We are leaving uh, Horror Bluffs. Thank you so much <laughs> for listening. Uh, once again, I am Lane, the resident scaredy cat. I don't know if this, I have to say that again at the end, but there I am. I, I'm Meg. I'm the horror buff. And, you know, we are so happy to keep doing this. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. Yeah, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok um, at HorrorBluffsPod. Um, and if you have any questions or comments or concerns or you have any fun facts that we didn't get to, um, or even movie requests, you can email us at horrorbluffs at gmail.com. And if you would like to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would also be lovely. We would love to hear anything that you have to say, and maybe in the future we'll read them on the show. Yeah, that could be super fun. Um... Thank you so much for listening. This was a great time, and uh, we will see you back here in two weeks for our episode conversation on Midsummer. Okay. Okay. Yay! Bye! Should we do like a, is there like a howl out thing we should do or something? <laughs> Are we going to howl like werewolves? Like, well, I mean, we can't, okay. We can't do that because buffering the podcast, uh, buffering the vampire slayer does that. But like a, like a, ooh, or like a spooky, or like, I don't know. We could just do outro music. What the fuck am I talking about? It's called outro music. No, it's fine. This is very <laughs> fine. I love this.